Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast where, with Jay Rosen, we take a look at movies from the compliance perspective. But before we get to our podcast, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You Would you like to explore some compliance topic? Well, I have founded the Compliance Podcast Network, and I'm looking for new podcasters. If you've wondered how you might start a podcast, please listen to our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, Jay and I began a multi-part exploration of the Star Trek movies. As many of you know, I did an entire series this summer on the intersection of compliance and Star Trek, the original series. In this episode, we look at Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, one of the most humorous episodes in the genre. Popcorn and Compliance is produced by the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud part of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, back again with Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, for our continuing series of Popcorn and Compliance, where we take a look at our joint love of all things movies and compliance. So, Jay, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Uh, eager to dive right into our oceanically, oceanically themed uh, Star Trek, The Voyage Home. Well, uh, that's a great intro to our t- topic today. And uh, you want to just dive into the Hollywood Insider part of our uh, podcast, Jay? Would love to. So uh, Star Trek for The Voyage Home is the 1986 American science fiction film directed by Spock, Leonard Nimoy, and based on the TV series. It's the fourth feature installment in the Star Trek film series and is a sequel to Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Uh, As we talked about in our last podcast, this completes a story arc that began with The Wrath of Khan in 1982, continued with Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and now wraps up in The Voyage Home. Um... Intent on returning home to Earth to face trial for their actions in their previous film, the former crew of the USS Enterprise finds the planet is in grave danger from an alien probe attempting to contract the now distinct humpback whales. The crew travels to Earth's past to find the whales who can answer the probe's call. After directing the search for Spock, Cast member Leonard Nimoy was asked to direct the next feature and given greater freedom regarding the film's content. In contrast to the drama-heavy and operatic events of the three previous features, Nimoy and producer Harv Bennett wanted a lighter movie that did not have a clear-cut villain. As William Shatner was unwilling to return, Nimoy and Bennett spent eight months considering a prequel concept by Ralph Winter about the characters at the Starfleet Academy before Shatner received a pay increase and signed a star. Ironically, Nimoy and Shatner each received $2.5 million for the film, less than their original demands, but the film's cast rising salaries caused Paramount to create a new television series, the Star Trek Next Generation, in 1987 with a less expensive, lesser-known actors. 
Despite Shatner's doubts, Nimoy and Bennett selected a time travel story in which the Enterprise crew goes back to solve a problem that could only be fixed by something available in the present day. Here's the interesting Hollywood part now. Nimoy approached Beverly Hills cop writer Dan Petrie Jr. to write the screenplay when a concept that executive producer Jeffrey Katzenberg described as either the best or the worst idea in the world. Star Trek fan Eddie Murphy wanted a starring role. Nimoy and Murphy acknowledged his part would attract non-Star Trek fans to the franchise following the rising popularity of Murphy, but it also meant that the film might be ridiculed. Steve Mearson and Peter Crickies, two writers who I actually know from my days in Hollywood, were hired to write the script, with Murphy as a college professor who believes in aliens and likes to play whale songs. Murphy disliked the part and chose to make the golden child. The character intended for Murphy was combined with those of marine biologist and female reporter to become Gillian Taylor. Paramount was dissatisfied with the script, so its head of production, Don Steele, asked Nicholas Meyer, the writer and director of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, to help rewrite it. Meyer never read the earlier draft, reasoning it was pointless to do so since the content had no appeal to the studio. He and Bennett split the task, conceiving the plot between them. Nimoy said that Meyer gave the script a kind of humor and social commentary, gadfly attitude. He very much wanted that. He added that his vision for the no dying, no fighting, no shooting, no photon torpedoes, no phaser blasts, no stereotypical bad guy. As with previous Star Trek films, existing props and footage were reused whenever possible to save money. The Voyage Home was the first Star Trek film to extensively film on location. Much of the production was filmed in and around the San Francisco Bay Area during 10 days of shooting. The production wanted to film scenes that were readily identifiable and iconographic of the city by the bay. The scene in which Uhura and Chekhov questioned passerbys about location of nuclear vessels was filmed with a hidden camera. However, the people with whom Koenig and Nichols speak were hired extras off the street for the day's shooting and despite legends to the contrary, knew they were being filmed. The film was dedicated to the crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger, which broke up 73 seconds after takeoff on the morning of January 18, 1986. The Voyage Home was released on November 26, 1986, so that is um, almost 33 years ago to the day, today is the 27th, by Paramount Pictures and became the top grossing film at the weekend box office. The film, film's humor and unconventional story were well received by critics, fans of the series, and the general audience. It was a financial success, earning $133 million worldwide and earned several awards and four Oscar nominations. In its first week, The Voyage Home ended Crocodile Dundee's eight-week reign at the box office. The Star Trek film made $39.6 million in its first five days of release, exceeding the search for socks box opening by $14 million. Ultimately, the film grossed a global total of $133 million against $21 million in production costs, which coincidentally was a million under budget. The Voyage Home sold $81.3 million of tickets, more than any, more than the franchise's second or third film, and almost as much as the original Star Trek motion picture.
The film was a major commercial success for Paramount, which released five of the top 10 films that year and garnered 22% of the money taken at the American box office. Much of the credit uh, went to Chairman Frank Mancuso, a former distribution exec, who decided to move the Voyage Home release from Christmas to Thanksgiving after research showed that the film may draw filmgoers away from the golden child. In terms of critical response, The Voyage Home received mostly positive reviews. Nimoy called it the most well-received of all Star Trek films made, and it appealed to general audiences in addition to franchise fans. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of A+, on an A-plus to F schedule. The movie was loose, jovial, immensely pleasurable, said the Wall Street Post, Paul Inanasio, and a retrospective BBC review called the film one of the series' strongest episodes and proved that the franchise could weather the absence of a space-bound action and the iconographic USS Enterprise. The film's fish-out-of-water comedy and acting were mostly lauded. And finally, Newsweek David Anson considered The Voyage Home not only the most lighthearted of the film's franchise, but the most true in spirit to the original series. Let me just pick up on those last two points, Jay. Um, because it really was lighthearted and it really was fun. And I remember reading a review at the time that said essentially that um, they picked the city of San Francisco for them to beam into because uh, in San Francisco, a uh, 23rd century man would feel not necessarily right at home, but he would fit right in. And the characters, um, uh, the uh, crew had to portray in San Francisco, I think really uh, uh, hit that mark. Uh, San Francisco in the 80s really was a, a disparate home of lots of different characters. Um, so um, a really, really enjoyable film. Lighthearted is absolutely correct. Lots of fun. But a couple of messages in there, uh, certainly for compliance practitioners that I wanted to highlight, Jay. The first one was, for me, the overall theme of this film was listening. Um, no one was listening to the probe because they couldn't. No one was listening to the whales because they didn't think the whales were saying anything intelligent. Uh, and even if they were listening, if you could maybe uh, draw back to your days of being Mr. Translations, they couldn't speak to them because they didn't know how. Um, so uh, kind of one theme was, well, why didn't Kirk just order Spock to program the computer to answer? Well, uh, they didn't know how. Uh, they didn't know what they were saying and they didn't know what the response was to be. So uh, they needed a translation, and to go get it translated, they had to go to an original speaker or a native speaker, and that was the um, uh, whale from uh, the uh, 20th century. So listening is a key component for any leader. It's a key component for the compliance practitioner, and if you're not listening, you're really not doing your job. But uh, more than simply listening, Jay, uh, and once again drawing back to your prior life uh, as Mr. Translation's Listening leads to communicating, but you have to be able to communicate in a manner that the listener can understand. And here, um, the uh, men of the 23rd century and the uh, Federation could not do so. So I thought that was a pretty good uh, lesson to recall for every business leader and every compliance practitioner. Uh, Get those policies and procedures and codes of conduct translated out there. Um, If you don't know how, call Jim Moore. We'll let you know how. Uh, he will let you know how. Also, um, being good allies, um, the uh, the hunt for the whales uh, was predicated on saving the world, but 
Uh, it was also about saving the whales, which in 1986 was actually a pretty big deal. Um, so uh, I don't think it's it's at least publicized quite as much now as it was at that point. Uh, but uh, humans helping whales was a theme that uh, I think resonated with the audiences and led to uh, much of the success of uh, the movie, Jay. Yeah, um, I, I just uh, I want to go back to what you just talked about, just in terms of the camaraderie. And I think, um, you know, sometimes when you have a series, you are constrained by the tone, um, you know, by the theme of what you have. And I think, number one, getting off the soundstage, even though symbolically, if it's only for 10 days, uh, to get uh, into a position to interact with the real world uh, makes a difference. And uh, sometimes sequels can appear to be stodgy and uh, by the by the numbers and, and be done as um, a rote exercise. And I think what we see here in um, Star Trek Four is a continuing evolution of the series. And uh, what we are have grown to expect and what we really love is about coming back with these characters. So not only is it how people from the bridge of Star Trek interact with each other, but I really in, enjoyed the social activism as we discussed the Greenpeace theme, the theme about the, uh, the whales and, and just that lightheartedness and the humor. So uh, I believe what we see here is that the series continues to evolve and uh, they're really not held back anymore by financial constraints. You're going to have special effects, but, you know, getting out into the real world, uh, I think, really did a lot for the series and gave it uh, continued legs to move forward on. Jay, there's one person I want to shout out, uh, send a shout out to, and that's a gentleman named Kirk Thatcher. Kirk Thatcher was an associate producer on this movie, and he is also probably will be forever remembered as the uh, punk rock and roller on the bus who Spock gave the neck pinch to. Uh, That scene came about because Leonard Nimoy actually had that experience um, in New York on a subway, and uh, Nimoy thought that if I was Spock, I'd pinch, give him a neck pinch. And he later told that story, and Thatcher convinced him, uh, Nimoy, to actually write that into the script and then he convinced uh, Nimoy, or or as a reward, Nimoy allowed him to play that role in the movie. And Thatcher shaved his hair into a mohawk and became the punk on the bus. Uh, but he actually then wrote and recorded the song that's playing on the boombox at the time, which is I Hate You. So um, I don't know what happened before or after to Kirk Thatcher, but uh, he certainly, in my mind, had a moment in the Star Trek sun. There's actually a little bit more to that, Tom, that they uh, went into a sound studio and professionally uh, recorded the song, and it sounded too good. So they went out into the hallway and used a real basic recording setup just to get that grittiness and the darkness and the the punkiness of it. So uh, I'm glad you brought up the the Thatcher story because that made me smile when I read about that. Jay, uh, it's time to to rate this movie. Um, I will start off. I'm I really enjoyed this movie. The comedic elements, the uh, the overall theme, the camaraderie, 
uh, and now for me, it's even more powerful seeing San Francisco in circa 1986. It was a lot of fun when I saw San Francisco in 1986, circa 1986, uh, and seeing, you know, the Castro and all of those districts that were represented uh, uh, as characters in the ongoing saga of the city of San Francisco. Um, the message, of course, of uh, environmentalism still resonates, even if we don't talk about saving the whales quite as much uh, anymore. Uh, it's probably now exponentially more with climate change. Uh, all of that wrapped around into, I thought, a great script. Once again, a, a light touch directing by Nimoy. Uh, everybody uh, was uh, top on their marks in terms of actors and actresses. Special effects, the shot around the sun was great. Uh, once again, ILH, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, did a great job on the special effects. So I'm going to give this movie a, a full bucket of popcorn, Jay, and I'm going to add a medium-sized Diet Coke to enjoy it with. You know, after all that popcorn, it really makes good sense having that Diet Coke to fight the fight. But uh, uh, I, I too, uh, love the movie. Uh, I will give it an overflowing bucket of popcorn and... Since I'm going to throw my caution to the wind at my theater, I'm allowed to get um, a Slurpee with a little shot of Jack Daniels in it. So I'm going to celebrate the fact that Jeffrey Katzenberg, studio exec against his best uh, crossover appeal, decided that Star Trek would be nonetheless worse off for not having the golden child, Eddie Murphy, be part of it. Uh, maybe today now, with Eddie being a bit more of a serious actor and, and having lived through his Hollywood days, he might be able to sublimate his ego. But I just can't see uh, uh, Eddie Murphy being uh, on the, the deck of, uh, of the Star Trek uh, movie. What, what, do, what did you think about that semi-inspired piece of casting? It's always interesting when you read about who was considered and what direction the film would have taken. And it would have been a very different film is all I could say. All right. Well, you want to take us home, Jay? Sure. Uh, on behalf of Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist and myself, uh, Jay Rose and Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this edition of Popcorn and Compliance. And we'll be back and see you real soon. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance as much as Jay and I did bringing it to you. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home is just a ton of fun. And I would urge you to check it out again if you it's been many years since you've seen it. Jay and I are going to take a short hiatus from our exploration of the Star Trek movies to move to a summary of the Star Wars movies in anticipation of the release of the rise of Skywalker, we're going to uh, replay our podcast series on the Star Wars movies, including A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi, all in anticipation of the final of the original nine-part series conceived of by George Lucas. That will premiere on Monday, December 16th on this network, the Compliance Podcast Network. And we're going to download them to iTunes. So if you want to binge listen to them straight through, they'll be available on iTunes for doing so. I hope you'll check them out. Star Wars and some compliance issues. We had a ton of fun bringing it to you. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.